Well, hi, everybody. Uh, thinking about Jesus in this season before Easter, uh, but we're also thinking about uh, what's happening in Texas. And there's something powerful happening at, uh, around the case of Melissa Lucio, who's scheduled for execution on April 27th. And I reached out to these two brothers uh, in Texas because they've been doing all kinds of work bringing attention to Melissa's case and also uh, thinking about criminal justice and the death penalty. And what does it really look like to heal the wounds of uh, violence in our world? So we're going to talk about all that. I'll, I want to go ahead and welcome uh, Representative Jeff Leach and Representative Joe Moody from Texas. Good to be with you, brothers. Good morning. Shane, great to be with you. Yeah, and good I, to be with you. It's been a few years, but I was down there. You all invited me down to testify before uh, a committee that was thinking through criminal justice reform. I've got my coffee mug that I brought back from the <laughs> Texas House there. So uh, we, we're, we're going to get into that. But let me just first give people a little backdrop to Melissa Lucio's case for folks that don't know. In 2007, her uh, daughter, Melissa's daughter, Mariah, was two years old and uh, had an accident. She fell down the steps, and this wasn't the first time. Uh, her, her foot um, was turned in, and it caused her to be vulnerable to tripping or falling. She fell down the steps, and Mariah, uh, they didn't think she was hurt bad enough to have to go to the hospital. Um, so as she's recuperating two days into that, they couldn't wake her up and the family called 911 um, and instead of seeing this as an accident uh, Texas pursued this as a criminal activity and actually interrogated Melissa Lucio the mother of uh, the two-year-old that died and for five hours uh, as she was pregnant um, she was uh, really interrogated by the investigators um, over a hundred times she asserted her innocence that she didn't um, uh, cause the death of her daughter, uh, but eventually she was convicted. Uh, and you can look you can look at all the fine details of this. There's so many things that are that are problematic about the case. Um, uh, she part of the evidence that was entered was. Uh, uh, teeth evidence, bite mark evidence that has now been debunked. It's not even allowed in cases anymore. Uh, the, the prosecutor in this case was later found guilty of criminal charges and is serving, I think, a 13-year sentence. Uh, so there's so many problems, right? But in some ways, um, it's a mirror to the larger criminal justice system and the brokenness of the death penalty system. And that's why I wanted to invite these two brothers to talk about that. They're, they're really dedicating a lot of their life and energy to, uh, to trying to, to do something about the brokenness of our system. So first of all, um, Jeff, why don't you start like why about your visit? You, you had a chance to visit Melissa. Both of you all did. Uh, seven uh, representatives in the house went to visit. Talk about why this became so important to you. And I want to hear about the visit and uh, time with Melissa. Well, Shane, thanks for having us on today. Uh, thanks for your work over the years on this issue. And it's always great to be with my colleague, Representative Moody from El Paso. We may uh, be from different political parties and uh, certainly different parts of this vast, diverse state. But um, it's an honor to partner with Joe on, on so many important issues, including issues like this, that the the execution, no pun intended, of the death penalty in Texas. And uh, 
Look, look, you, you hit the nail on the head. You did a good job of, of quickly summarizing and giving the Reader's Digest version of Melissa's case. I've been doing this uh, a long time, Joe, a little bit longer than I have, but we, we take these cases very seriously as policymakers when it comes to the ultimate punishment, an irreversible decision by the state of Texas to execute someone. I believe that every policymaker in every single branch of government should take these cases very seriously, should ask the tough questions, and should seek the truth. Um, we, we, cannot, um, we cannot take this responsibility lightly. We shouldn't. In fact, it's our most important and, and solemn responsibility. Um, without question, the Melissa Lucio case is the most troubling, uh, problematic, concerning case I've ever seen. Um, it is literally from, uh, from the start to the finish, from, from, the very, uh, from Mariah's tragic death, uh, until even today, the system has failed Melissa, and I would argue has failed Mariah. At every, every turn, every step of the way, there have been problems, significant problems and weaknesses and holes in the system, and it's caused us great concern. I know for Joe and I and many others, it's caused us to lose some sleep, and uh, we view it uh, incumbent upon us as policymakers with a voice and a platform uh, to do everything we can to speak out on Melissa and Mariah's behalf. Uh, between now and her, her scheduled execution date later this month. And so um, I, I just w I look forward to our conversation today. But as for Melissa's case, uh, we, we, it's incumbent upon us as, as, um, as folks who view it as our central role to protect the constitutional rights, the fundamental freedoms and liberties, including the right to life of all Texans. Um, this is a, a very unique and timely um, and time sensitive issue. And we're going to, like I said, do everything we can to, to make sure we don't possibly execute an innocent Texan later this month. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, so, uh, Joe, tell us about the visit that you had, because you had a, a really rare opportunity to be face-to-face -face with Melissa, and uh, many of us have seen the powerful photo of you in a circle, and she's praying with you. So tell us about that. I know it really impacted you, and proximity to the people who are affected by this makes all the difference in the world, because a lot of us just think about this as another case, or the death penalty is you know, some debate, we've got our scriptures ready or our statistics ready, but when, when, you're, when you're there with somebody, it changes things. So tell us a little bit about the visit. Yeah. And, and it was, uh, uh, it was one of the most powerful things I think I've ever experienced in my time in legislature. I've also had the opportunity to sit with men, mostly, mostly black men that have been sentenced to, for crimes and sent to prison for things they didn't do sitting with someone like Anthony Graves, who was actually on death row for a crime he was later exonerated of. They tried to rush forward his execution. So, I mean, those are the types of moments that, that don't leave you. Um, and sitting with Melissa the last week is something that certainly won't, won't leave me. Uh, and you mentioned at the top of this being in Holy Week. You know, it is, for, for most of us, we will not, you know, we'll contemplate our mortality in, a di in different ways, but very few people get to, to contemplate it in the way that Melissa Lucio is doing now. And it made certainly made me think about Jesus in the garden, right? This is a moment in time, you know, is coming for you or it's been laid out in front of you and to see her peace and her, her embrace of what life is for her um, was truly inspiring. This is someone who, who said, I think her exact, I think what she said to us, Jeff was, she knows that God's going to welcome her home, whether that's on April 27th or on another day. So she stared at that and contemplated it and knows that what could happen that day, but she has faith and hope in God. Uh, and, and that, uh, to see that is something that is, is awe inspiring. Uh, you don't know if you could ever have that ability 
yourself and to see her do that. She's found her faith in prison has led other people to faith in prison. So all that is, uh, all that's extremely, extremely powerful and overwhelming. And I know Jeff and I were, were moved to tears in that room. Um, and, and, and it's just that there is a, there is a power to that, that, that is almost, uh, you know, almost leaves you speechless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to hear if you, if you have anything you want to add to that, Jeff, but I, you know, one of the things that struck me as I was looking at that, and I've done some stuff with, with uh, Melissa's family, with her son, John, and uh, I know he, he mentioned at one point that, you know, there's a powerful picture with you and Melissa embracing each other, Jeff, and, and yet, the, the family members aren't able to have contact visits. And so it's, it's so beautiful and humane and powerful to see you all together praying and hugging each other. But then it would also, you know, struck me as I, I know many folks that uh, tell me the first time they've been able to hug their loved one or kiss them on the cheek is after the execution. Like they literally haven't even been able to hug them in 20 or 30 years. So um, <coughs> you want to say anything more about your visit? Yeah, well, I think Joe did a really good job of, of expressing to you and, and your audience just how, how powerful and moving it was for us to uh, be within the confines of, of Texas' highest security uh, prison and, and to get to walk on death row and, and spend time with, uh, with Melissa. Uh, you, you recognize the, um, the, the immense power, uh, the immense power that government has, um, and, and that power can be used for good or for bad. Um, that power can, in many cases, and is in many cases, used to uh, to protect the rights and liberties of the people, to provide a, a a safety net where necessary, to help educate the next generation. You know, to all, we could talk about all the things that government can do and does well, but um, but in this instance, when you've got a potentially innocent woman who's spent nearly 15 years behind bars uh, for a crime that she possibly did not commit, a crime that actually may have not even occurred, um, is is um, we, we stood there in, in complete awe of, um, of just the power, the sheer power of government to rob someone of, of freedoms and liberties that God has given um, her. And, and so it's incredibly moving, the opportunity to pray with her, yes, to hug her, to lay hands on her, to hug her neck and hold her hand um, when she has not, apart from her um, contact with prison officials and prison guards over the last 15 years, Melissa Lucio has had not a single um, um, point of contact, of physical contact with another human, not a family member, not her lawyers. And yet we seven legislators, Republicans and Democrats walked in there and they took her shackles off and walked her into a room and we were able to hug her and embrace her. We, we, we could talk um, about that down the road. I've got a big problem with that. Um, I understand that, that we need to do that in some cases for security reasons, but there's no security. Melissa, there's no security risk with her. And the fact that we have prevented her from, from holding the hand of her kids um, or hugging their necks and, and that we will maintain the policy if her execution goes forward of not allowing them to kiss her cheek until she's um, until she's gone from this earth to me just is, mm. is sad and shocking. And we, as policymakers have got to, we got to speak up um, because we're the ones that set the laws. We're the ones that set the policies, the folks at the prison, they just execute what we, what we put in law. And so we've got to, we've got to um, figure that out and fix it. Yeah. Thanks you guys. And for folks that are just tuning in, uh, we're talking about Melissa Lucio in Texas. Her execution right now is scheduled for 
April 27th and uh, Representative Jeff Leach and Joe Moody are are here talking about what's happening in Texas and something is happening. It feels like there's a lot of folks that are uh, raising concerns about this. And I wanted to start with by talking a little bit about that. We're going to we're going to unpack all this, y'all. We're going to dive deep. We're going to talk a little bit about faith and what real justice looks like. But before I thought a good launching pad is to recognize that you're you are you've mentioned it that you're one of joe you're you're a democrat and um, jeff you're republican and there's an increasing movement of folks that uh, like conservatives concerned about the death penalty that recognize that we're giving this irreversible power of life and death when it comes to execution and particularly uh, to, to the government, um, you know, that doesn't always get it right. Uh, <laughs> you know, and there's many things that we know, these are, these are flawed systems. And uh, even the Supreme Court and McCleskey versus Kemp in 1987, I think it was, it recognized that there are biases within the system that make it you know, four times more likely to be executed if the if the victim's white than if the victim's a person of color. They they sort of said, you know, it's it's like we know that planes keep crashing, but we've got to keep flying and look at each individual plane uh, as we're doing it. And and when it comes to the death penalty, uh, our track record is not good. For every eight executions, there's been one exoneration, one person proved innocent. Um, so you, you think about that, like if, if every, you know, nine planes that took off, one of them crashed, we'd be like, man, this is not good. But that's our track record. And much of this is happening, you know, in Texas. Texas accounts for about half of our executions in the country generally in a year. Um, but there's a lot of folks that are, I think, beginning to be concerned about that and saying, maybe we can do um, justice for victims of violence without executing um uh, folks and, and, you know, the possibility of executing innocent people. So, Jeff, I wanted to see if you wanted to start with um, your, your, where your concern comes from. And, you know, I, I, I know it's, it's with innocence, especially in the case of Melissa, but, um, you know, you're, you're, you're more comprehensive than just re responding to executions. You're trying to rethink what real justice looks like. So you want to talk a little bit about that? Well, look, Shane, without question, the, the whole uh, conversation revolving around criminal justice, criminal justice reform um, is, is, I think, really one of the, the really cool areas in which there seems to be bipartisan consensus, um, not only here in Texas, but across the country. Um, and and I, I think we ought to capitalize on that opportunity in, in these times when we're so divided and we're so um, uh, unable, it seems like, especially in Washington, to come together across par partisan lines and to, to really work on issues that that matter to the people that we serve and that can make a difference. Um, it, it's good to see this issue kind of commanding uh, center stage. And, and I don't think we ought to uh, turn our heads or avoid that. I think we ought to capitalize on it and figure out areas that we don't agree on everything. Joe and I don't agree on everything when it comes to criminal justice reform, but we agree on nine out of 10 things. And we agree that, that when it comes to justice, the system ought to be, um, ought to be strong. It ought to be uh, transparent. It ought to be fair. And asking tough questions like we're doing here in the Melissa Lucio case, um, even you know when when the system has failed, talking about that does not weaken the system, as some might argue. I think it strengthens the system, and it's a vitally important for us to have these conversations. Shane, um, I, I'll speak directly to any fellow Republicans, um, law and order Republicans, conservatives that are listening to us today. Um, typically, uh, we've avoided talking about the death penalty. We've avoided talking about. Uh, 
this issue because it's just something we've always uh, um, been for and and we've been resistant and reluctant to have tough conversations. And I think we ought to uh, we ought to unbury our heads in the sands. We ought to uh, from the sand. We ought to to be willing and eager to have these conversations, especially as pro life uh, conservatives. We we value life from the womb to the tomb. And I can tell you right now, even if you might be arguing out there that 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 capital punishment is a God ordained institution, I am here to tell you with my own. I've seen it with my own eyes. If in fact it is a God ordained institution, man has royally messed it up. We have messed <laughs> it up, and and we have an obligation, just like man messes everything up. Um, we, we, we are sinful. And when we are in control of life and death, um, we ought to be, be willing to have the hard conversations and ask the, ask the tough questions. And right now, Shane, that's all I'm asking uh, Republicans to do, law and order Republicans to do, um, is to, to be willing to have these conversations, to ask the tough questions. And I think I'm very confident that they'll see what I've seen. And that's that we've got major problems that need fixing. Ooh, man, I, I love it. And, uh, you know, I, th- I think of the words of Sister Helen Prejean, you know, who's been a wonderful advocate on this. And she says, sometimes the question isn't just whether or not we think someone deserves to die, but whether or not we deserve to kill. Um, I mean, you know, it kind of stirs the, the Jesus image of let the one who's without sin cast the first stone, but it also raises the question of, uh, you know, do we want this irreversible uh, power in the hands of the state when you, you can't bring someone back from the dead when you get it wrong. Uh, and uh, Joe, as we, we think about that, you know, um, uh, Brian Stevenson uh, at Equal Justice Initiative has said that uh, we want to believe that we're killing the worst of the worst when it comes to death penalty. But in actuality, we're killing the poorest of the poor and disproportionately people of color. What determines who actually gets executed is not the atrocity of the crime, but the resources of the defendant, the, you know, uh, the, the, uh, the, how good their lawyers are, what resources they have, and even just uh, things like the, the, the race of the, the victim, things like that. So you've thought a lot about racial justice, and I think our country's wrestling with that. And it would, you know, it's impossible to ignore the fact that where lynchings were happening 100 years ago is where executions continue to happen. The states that held on to slavery the longest are the same states that continue to kind of hold on to the death penalty. So you want to talk a, a little bit about that, Joe? Yeah, I think the, you know, those are the types of uncomfortable conversations that, that, that Jeff was just talking about, uh, to actually sit there and, 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 and understand the flaws that are built into into our system and, and to tell yourself it's okay to think about it. I'm not here to attack anybody about things. I think this is where Jeff and I have been able to work on things together. Not that we haven't had our, our fair share of, of, of you know, issues that we've bumped up against each other on, which is fine. Although I don't like arguing with him too much because he's a very good lawyer. Um, but um, but it, it's, a, it, it's what's allowed us to really sit with each other and think about these things is, is, is that we're willing to have the uncomfortable conversations. We're willing to say, would this have happened if, you know, Melissa had had an attorney who knew what they were doing? And I'm not trying to impugn court appointed attorneys. I've worked as a court appointed attorney and it is all about the job you put into it. Right. If you do the work, you can you can you can be a court appointed lawyer and do a great job. But there are problems within our indigent defense system in Texas that we've had to address time and time and time again. Uh, and this is one that is it, it is extremely troubling when you look at the disparity between Melissa and her. Uh, her boyfriend at the time, who who should have been culpable, uh, had you could have you know should have been culpable for the same crime if she was culpable for this crime if a crime was committed, 
you know, he he is convicted of a lesser included offense, has a couple dozen witnesses presented at trial. Uh, he's a free man today. Actually had a history of abuse if you're comparing CPS records. And so I'm not trying to say that he did anything wrong. I'm saying, I'm saying this is what happens. You walk into a courtroom on one floor of the courthouse and a different floor of the courthouse with a lawyer that looks like this, the lawyer that does this, and you get completely you have one woman that's facing execution and someone else is walking free. That tells me there is, is a, there is a problem, going back to what Jeff talked about, in equality and fairness in our justice system. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be able to, you know, you shouldn't, shouldn't be a lot of difference between the results you get for the same charges, depending on what floor of the courthouse you walk off on. You know, that, that, that troubles me as someone who's grown up, in a, grown up in the criminal justice system. I used to be a prosecutor. I've been a criminal defense attorney in my past as well. And so it's a... Uh, these are the things that we look at. Uh, we've looked at issues related to, you know, um, uh, you know, incarcerating those who are, are poor solely because they're poor, you know, and essentially you can't pay the fines. So we're going to lock you up. We've looked at those issues uh, as well. Jeff has worked very hard on issues related to the death penalty and the law party. So someone that isn't the actual uh, the killer in the case or was, you know, was ancillary to the murder can be held. And Texas law can be held accountable for the same range of punishment as the person who actually committed the crime. And there's some very troubling cases on that front here in Texas too. So um, it's unfortunate yeah. that we have so many of these examples in Texas, but for us, it allows us to shine a brighter light on the problems and hopefully force those uncomfortable conversations. Uh, let's think about it. Let's sit in it and, and, and not accuse one another of doing anything wrong, but talk about ways we can fix it. Yeah. And in, in a lot of ways, you know, Texas is kind of a microcosm that we can see the country through some of these and some of the cracks in the criminal justice system. And, you know, the other the other thing that you all both share in common that I share in common with you is our uh, faith. And, and uh, you know, as Christians, it, it's, it's um, also true that the Bible Belt is the death belt. Ninety percent of executions are happening in the Bible Belt. Um, Christian governors, Governor Abbott, Governor Lee in Tennessee, where I'm from. And in fact, I, I don't know if y'all know this, but Tennessee brought the electric chair back during Holy Week a few years ago on Maudy Thursday before Good Friday. Like, it, it, and, and as we look at the string of executions that are set for right after Easter, two of them the week after Easter, one in Texas, one in Tennessee, and several other, uh, you know, around the country, Melissa's a couple weeks or one week after, you see this uh, sort of paradox that at the heart of the Christian faith is Jesus, who said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy, who I think put death on display in order to subvert it with love and forgiveness in an empty tomb. I sometimes uh, say Jesus was like water poured on the electric chair to short circuit the whole system of death. And, uh, you know, I grew up Methodist and the Methodist church has a powerful statement that says capital punishment denies the power of <clears throat> Jesus uh, to redeem and restore every human being. And it really at the heart of this, uh, is also a faith question, right? Uh, that do we believe that mercy triumphs over judgment? Do we believe as Christians that someone is more than the worst thing that they've ever done? So, I, you know, I, I know that there's, there's ways that we try to separate church and state and distinguish our personal faith from our policies. But, you know, all of us are, are having our conscience and our, um, 
the things that matter to us, the priorities that we have shaped by that, by something. So uh, I, I thought I'd give you a chance, especially being right before Easter here, uh, that, that you could reflect on how your faith is informing you to think about the death penalty, but also, you know, justice in general. You want to start, Jeff? Well, look, I mean, it, it's it's a vitally important conversation, not only for policymakers, but for people of faith, for, for Bible-believing Christians to have. And, you know, we, we don't, uh, when we become Christians, when we, uh, when we give our life to Christ and when we, uh, when we submit to, uh, to him, uh, when we, when we lay down our lives, um, so to speak, we don't, he, he the Lord does never re requires us to, to check our brains at the door for us to just kind of hang up, um, hang up our minds and our, and our brains and our hearts and refuse to think, um, deeply about issues. Um, you know, scripture is very clear that, that when we ask for wisdom and when we seek the truth, we'll find it. And, and I think that it's important for Christians, even a Christian that might be listening, that it says, I am for the death penalty. Um, I I've always been for the death penalty. I was raised supporting the death penalty. I believe strongly that, that maybe it has a deterrent effect or, or maybe, maybe it's, it's, it's right in the most heinous cases that that's, that's okay. I'm not here to tell you what to think. All I'm asking uh, and encouraging people to do is to, to, be willing to ask tough questions, to look at the data. They'll find that it doesn't have the deterrent effect that maybe it once did. Um, they'll, they'll find that, as we, you guys just talked about, the, uh, the disproportionate um, impact that it has on racial minorities, on black and brown people. Look, rich white guys do not get the death penalty. They don't. Um, you can afford a good lawyer. Uh, you, can, you can mount a good defense. But if you have a bad lawyer like Melissa did, um, the, the cards, the deck is stacked against you. And so, look, again, as, as Christians, we have got to be willing to, um, to to ask God for wisdom and discernment on this, to have tough conversations with fellow believers. And, and I, my fear is that I just think it's the reality that we've got a lot of leaders today, political leaders who have this this mentality of leadership. And it's this this whole let me find out where my people are so I can lead them there. OK, mm -hmm. that's not leadership. Um, if, if, if you look at polls, yes, the probably the majority of Texans today still support the death penalty. But I promise you that that if every Texan was to visit death row, if you were to understand the facts, if you were to look at cases like Melissa's and if our policymakers would do the same, I, I don't believe there's any way that until that we, we have major fixes, major, major fixes to the system that we can continue uh, to execute folks, um, guaranteeing people that we're not possibly executing someone who's innocent. So um, I've gotten there. Um, it's taken a long time. And frankly, I'm, I'm, I'm still wrestling with this very issue, but um, I'm, I'm willing to ask the tough questions and I hope others would, would be willing to do the same. Thanks, brother. And I think that's the, the posture we all need is to realize, hey, we're, we're, we're trying to figure this out together. We're trying to listen to what, you know, our faith says, what data says, you know, and, and also to be near to those who are hurting and, and to be against the death penalty is not to be against justice. It's uh, not to say that, you know, violence shouldn't have consequences. But, you know, for me, I, I think I really began to to realize that that we don't rape people to show that rape is wrong and we, we can't kill to show that killing is wrong. Violence is a problem, not the solution. And, and you know, um, Jeff, I mean, uh, Joe, as you as you think about your faith, you know, it's not just I grew up, you know, in the evangelical church, but Catholics, too, are, I think, wrestling with this. And a, a lot of Christians are wrestling with the what does it mean to be pro-life from womb to tomb, as Jeff said, you know, to not just be pro-life on one issue and not on another. The Pope's been really 
um, a, a powerful voice on this. Mother Teresa, you know, was one of my inspirations and she was passionately, she's known for her passion on abortion, but she was also very passionate about the death penalty and, and finding alternatives to it. So I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about your faith, but uh, I, I'd love to hear it, man. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I uh, you know, I, I think that if you don't allow that to inform decision-making, then, then you're creating an unnecessary divide in your life. Right. And, and, and like every good Catholic, I have had my ups and downs <laughs> with the church attendance and, and otherwise, and I think that's just kind of the way most of us are. But um, I tell you, after the, the shooting that took place here in El Paso, and, and strangely enough, the shooter that came to El Paso to kill people here in, El pa uh, in my community drove from Jeff's district. That's where he lived. And so it's something else that will forever connect us in, the, in a very strange way. Um, he came here and committed those acts of violence uh, based on the, the color of people's skin. And, and I remember thinking very um, deeply about how, how do you lead it? How do you be, how are you, you know, how do you conduct yourself as, as a leader, as someone in public service when you're confronted with something like that? Because we are sitting in an air, in a time in politics where everything is very vitriolic. Everything is, is hyper politicized. Everything's hyper, you know, uh, you know, everyone was taking each other to the extremes. And I said, well, we can't lead like that anymore. We got to lead with love. And you got, mm. there was a funeral for, for one of the victims in which the community here encircled the church. And there's a beautiful picture of it, encircled the church, just around and around and around. This was a, a man who was burying his wife who thought he didn't have any family, didn't think there was anyone that loved him. Mm. And mm. I remember seeing that image and I said, we have to bring the same love to everything we do. Um, and the bishop here, uh, Bishop Bishop Seitz, talked about the shooting, and he talked about sparing uh, the shooter from the death penalty, not because um, this isn't a heinous crime, but because the cycle of violence has to end somewhere. Mm. And that was his main message to 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 Catholics here, to our community here in El Paso: is you cannot solve violence with more violence, and you have to you have to be the one that puts an end to it. Uh, you know, I've 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 read his letter that he's, he's, he's written many times and talks about race and justice, but ends with that calling. It is up to us to be better than that, right? We don't, you, you know, when you gave a speech at Calvin College, I remember I've watched it probably a million times now, but talked about, you know, Bible verses about an eye for an eye. And he said, that this is more of a limitation. Yes, this can be allowed, but it, 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 we can be better than that. And we're mm -hmm. called to be better than that. And that's really always impressed itself upon my mind. It's complicated. It's difficult because you're talking about death penalty cases. You are necessarily talking about some heinous facts in a lot of them. And so you have to be able to, you have to be able to confront that and get past the crime and see the, the, the opportunity that person may have to, to be something better. Like you said, we don't, we don't, it shouldn't be up to us to get to rob them of their, their redemption. Maybe they have a story that, that's left for them. Maybe they have something positive to, 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 to pay forward. And we, you know, we're choosing to interject ourselves in that situation and rob, rob them of that. And I think that's, uh, that's really what, what my faith teaches me about this, this process. Yeah, I think that's w one of the most misused verses in the scripture is the eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, which interestingly enough, Jesus says, you've heard it said, you know, Moses told you this, but I tell you this, and we've used sort of what was meant to be a, a, a limit to violence as a license for our own violence and revenge. And, and I think Jesus really challenges that to say, just because 
you can doesn't mean you should return the harm for the harm done to you that we can actually interact with evil without mirroring the evil so uh thanks for that that word um we've got just a few minutes left y'all these guys gotta hop off and it's been a uh, incredible conversation. I want to just get back to Melissa because the clock is ticking on on her execution unless something happens. There's been a lot of things that almost every day it feels like there's news. Um, we now know that I think four jurors said that they wouldn't have convicted um, Melissa, much less sentenced her to death uh, if they had known everything that we now know. Um, you've reached out, Jeff, I, mean, I think on behalf of the House, um, to the DA to sign the D, uh, district attorney sign. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing and how we can be praying for you, but also both of you tell us what we can be doing too. Yeah. Well, thank you, Shane. And, and obviously Melissa's case is, is right in front of us. And we, we do have um, just, just about two weeks, uh, 16 days before her scheduled execution. So the clock is, is ticking. Joe and I um, very grateful to our, our house speaker, Dade Phelan, um, Republican from from Beaumont, who's really made criminal justice reform a centerpiece issue of the House, and uh, and and he has led so well on this. I'm very grateful that he appointed me to uh, chair and Joe to vice chair a new interim select committee on criminal justice reform. And and Joe and I are just two of several, nearly 90 members of the Texas House, Republicans and Democrats. I would say death penalty proponents and death penalty opponents who have come together. Um, looked at this case and are, and are troubled by it. We've signed on to a letter to the Board of Pardons and Paroles. And then Joe and I have, have convened a committee hearing tomorrow, a public hearing at 3 p.m. at the Texas Capitol in Austin of our committee. And uh, we intend to have a, a general, but very uh, impactful and laser focused conversation on the death penalty specific, specifically as it re relates to um, appellate procedure. I have asked um, the Cameron County District Attorney, uh, Luis Sines, who, um, currently has his head in the sand and refuses to budge on this at all. Um, I mean, he more than the governor right now could single-handedly claw back Melissa's execution date and prevent this from going forward. Um, Joe and I have invited him to appear in front of our committee tomorrow. Um, we expect him to do so. And um, if he does not, uh, we will do everything we can. Um, we'll use every tool in the toolbox we can to compel his attendance um, at a meeting maybe later this week or early next week. He's not going to He's not going to um, get off by just trying to avoid this altogether. So we've also got one of the jurors, uh, Johnny Galvin, tomorrow, who will be there. Johnny's more, uh, he's elderly now, uh, but he's making his way to Austin. He was originally on the jur jury and um, ha has written a very powerful statement, um, really doing a great job of pulling back the curtain and identifying the problems with the case. And he says in so many words, and there are other jurors who said the same, had they known then what they know now, there's no way no way, Shane, that, that he would have uh, sentenced Melissa to the death penalty. And, and right now, if we allow this execution to go forward, we are sentencing Mr. Galvin for the rest of his life with that blood on his hands and that weight on his shoulders. How can we do that? How can we cannot, we cannot do that. And, and so he's going to testify in front of the committee tomorrow and share his story. And um, I'm looking forward to, to being in Austin uh, with Joe and the rest of our committee members and, and hope the people of Texas will pay attention. Great. We'll all be We'll all be paying attention and, and watching as that happens. Thanks for doing that. Joe, you want to uh, jump in here? Uh, tell us what else is happening or what we can be doing? Sure. There's really, you know, there's four avenues of relief uh, to, to get past April 27th. And ultimately, we just want Melissa to have fair, um, you know, fair day in court. She didn't have that. She never had that. Uh, and so one of those is what Jeff talked about, the district attorney who is a Democrat in Cameron County can withdraw his request for an execution date. 
If he does that, this matter is pended and allows her lawyers to do their work. Doesn't set her free, allows her lawyers to do their work. So I don't see the objection to doing that and pumping the brakes on that. I've talked to other prosecutors in Texas who, who don't see the, you know, don't see the issue with that. And I hope that he gets some clarity about it. So uh, to the extent that people want to communicate with his office about that, I think that's important to do, um, particularly if they're from Cameron County uh, in, in that area. I think that those are the people that are directly, you know, directly uh, that, that elect him. And I think that's important to hold people accountable for the decisions they make. Uh, you've got the, the Board of Pardons and Paroles, which you have, you know, 83 members of the Texas House who have sent uh, a letter to them asking for clemency in her case. They can rule on that as late as 48 hours prior to her execution. I think that is, I think that in and of itself is cruel and unusual punishment to make people wait like that. Um, but but that may they may do that. So there is a way that you can through public portal uh, offer your uh, opinion as to what should happen with Melissa Lucio with the Board of Pardons and Paroles. Uh, the governor would would be another avenue and in, in to make your voice known with Governor Abbott's office because it may end up on his desk. The fourth is the Court of Criminal Appeals, who has a new legal proceeding and uh, some legal uh, documents have been filed with them last Friday um, that might present a new opportunity legally for Melissa. Now, I don't know what we can do to communicate with, I know Jeff and I can't because we're lawyers, we're not in the case, can't communicate with the Court of Criminal Appeals. Um, so I'd ask you just to, to pray for them um, that they make the right decision because they have the power also to pen this matter. They did the right thing in the Rodney Reed case in which they said he deserves a new evidentiary trial and they stopped everything and sent it back to the court. I think they should do that here as well. So, so pray for them that they have the same, you know, that same pause in in in, in wisdom um, that they had in that case. They can do the they can do the same here. And I think the evidence uh, in this case uh, that hasn't been considered is, is 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 significant and rises to the same level as as the Rodney Reed case. So, uh, those are the different ways you can advocate. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I mean, I, I would love to keep talking. Let's do it again sometime. But uh, I know we've we've got to jump off, Jeff. You've got to take off. Uh, I want us to, to take just a minute to pray before we all jump off here, remembering that our work is important, but there's a, a hand and a power that's uh, bigger than ours that's at work in the world. So any closing words, though, Jeff or Joe, before we pray together? Thank Shane, you thank you this. so much. Yeah, Shane, thanks for your work, man. Just your compassion and, and uh, for people and your passion for the gospel. Uh, and of course, Joe, I'll see you tomorrow in Austin. So I just ask people to pray um, for justice to be done and, uh, we're, we're just the, the Lord's tools in this important fight. I'm glad to be engaged in it with you guys. Thanks, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly happy to do this. Um, as I told you before, Jeff was the one that told me to read this book called Executing Grace. Uh, and before that, I, I was a proponent of the death penalty and someone that didn't really engage uh, as heavily as I should on these issues. And so, uh, Shane, it's a, you, you, you know, you, you move, move me in a lot of ways to go research things, understand things in a deeper way. So, uh, this is a very, uh, it, it's very, it's very uh, interesting for me to be in a conversation with you and Jeff about this stuff, you know, given kind of the history of where I came from in this conversation. So thank you for that. And thank you for what you do uh, day in and day out and for, for inviting us to be with you today. Thanks, guys. Thanks, man. That means a lot. Got me all choked up over here. Gosh. But, you know, I mean, for me, too, I spent a lot of my life uh, arguing, making strong arguments, I thought, you know, for the death penalty. And so if you are leaning in today, maybe you're thinking something new, just uh, uh, keep having conversations like this. Keep conversations going with people that you may not agree with on everything. And for me, it's my love for Jesus that has reshaped the way I think about this. And it's also proximity to the people who are impacted, both murder victims, family members who are convinced that we don't 
need to, to kill to show that killing's wrong. We can do better than mirroring that. But it's also folks that are wrongfully convicted, folks on death row. And I keep on my desk, you guys, this, I've got a bunch of letters from guys. One of them is John Ramirez. He, he made me a origami uh, uh, swan, you know, and he's facing his execution. And he, he wrote me this letter. And just to remember that, that these are people made in the image of God. And this, this letter here is from a, a different fellow that was taken off death row. And it says, just as I was sealing up your letter, I was moved off death row after 30 years. And he said, I just walked on grass for the first time in 30 years. This is a reminder, y'all, that we, we can do better than the kind of punitive criminal justice. The question we all need to be asked, and like Joe says, is what does it look like to lead with love? What does it look like to heal the wounds of sin and violence in our world? So uh, let's keep talking, but let's pray together. And uh, thank you both, my brothers. Thank you for taking time out of a really busy time right now. And we'll, we'll pray, oh God, that you would heal us um, of the, all the, the brokenness of this world in our own hearts, in our streets, in our country. Um, we need your love, and we, we pray that uh, the world would know of your love. Even now, as we think of uh, Texas, we pray that your most perfect will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, that your most perfect will would be done for Melissa Lucio and for her family. I can't help but think that that's not for her to be killed, for maybe for her to be able to hug her children again. And so we pray that you would heal the wounds. Uh, and we remember you, Jesus, this week in particular as you suffered and endured such horrific violence to put God's love on full display for the world. And so may it change us. May it turn us into people who are merciful and loving uh, and who still care about justice, but also know that we can heal the wounds rather than create new ones. So guide us in your way. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, brothers.